Hello, everyone. Hi, hi, hi. Happy Tuesday. Is it Tuesday already? It's Tuesday already. Yes. It's it's 2021, Drewby. Mm-hmm. This is Linda. And Drew. Or and Drewby. And I was going to say we are at home. We are at home and this is at home. And we thank you for joining <laughs> us. This is a show where we chat with artists, experts, leaders, dreamers, and doers on the impact they're creating in the world starting right here at home. This is our chance to learn more about our relationships with ourselves, our communities, and the planet. That's our big home. Yes, our shared home. Because we truly do believe that any difference we want to make out there, it does start wherever we are with ourselves right at home. All right, Jibs, tell me about your week. This has been a good week. It's actually one of those weeks that feels like bricks are coming off shoulders because we had a few therapy sessions. Oh, wow. You didn't tell me that's how you felt right after the therapy session. Well, that's major. I mean, that's a good thing, but it is a good thing. Okay. Well, maybe they were really light, fluffy bricks, but, uh, (laughs) you know, it was really nice. I mean, I feel you and I are good communicators, but obviously we we still have our arguments and we still butt heads. And I think it's just really good to have someone else in the room who's a really great communicator and they really listen and communicate in a way that works for the person who's receiving. Yeah. I, I was very excited and I, I am very excited to continue because it's just like, in school, you know, you practice certain techniques and you practice um, different communication tools. So it's nice to be very intentional about it. What I hear is that you're saying it's nice to be intentional and to practice these techniques. That's called mirroring, guys. I learned that in my therapy <laughs> session. All right. <laughs> no? No, you did. Good job. Um and I heard that you like to make me breakfast in bed. What? Wait, what? And I appreciate when you make me breakfast in bed. That's uh, called telling your partner what you appreciate about them. That's called demanding. <laughs> <laughs> demanding eggs in, bre- in bed. Uh, but what else? I mean, this we actually got a lot of great time with our family uh, this week too because Linda's sister lives in the neighborhood now and we got to see the niece's nephew. Yeah, that's been so nice. It's been really good. It's so funny. I'll just randomly turn around and one of our nieces is like just there in our house. Building a house out of cardboard, cardboard boxes. boxes yeah, yeah, which is adorable. So a little, we have that's, a mini designer. That should be a new um, kids like design show. Ooh, that's a great idea. Yeah. All right. I'm pitching that. That's we hilarious. Do it. Um, what else? We just celebrated International Women's Day yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I have to say... I really love that we have had so many amazing women on our podcast, on at home, that have inspired us. So this is a shout out to all those amazing, strong women out there in our lives. I'm just, I'm just going to name off all these amazing women that, that come to mind. We had Jasmine Roth from HGTV. Uh, we Joy Cho, Nikki Bella, Ashlyn Cousteau. I love environmental talk with Ashlyn. She's so mm-hmm. passionate. Sunny and Ashley from Rare Breed. Um, their book is all about empowering us to understand ourselves more and Tara Schuster. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who encourages us to love ourselves and take care of ourselves. Rosanna Pensino. Th- honestly, we could go on and on. Oh We've had gosh, so many yeah. amazing women on our podcast. So thank you to all of you guys. We love you so much. So what does International Women's Day mean to you, Drewby? I personally feel that it's just a little reminder that every day is a great day to celebrate women because we would not be here if it wasn't for them and they are great inspirations in our lives. So it sort of is a reminder for me to reach out to any women in my life, like yourself, like our moms and all the other people who are friends and family um, and just say thank you for being a part of my life and making me who I am. Yeah, and to, to celebrate it 
and learn from them. Mm-hmm. What, I, does it, what does it mean for you? I think it, it just makes me be more mindful of different stereotypes and mindful of the fact that like we are all so different and we can be strong and be a leader in our own unique ways. I really am thankful for all the experiences that we've had traveling internationally and meeting so many amazing women from different walks of life and to, to learn from their perseverance. It really has given me per- new perspective and I'm really, really appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. And today we're excited to chat with another amazing woman, best-selling author of The Push, Ashley Audrain. The Push, let me tell you. Actually, I'm not even going to get into it because it's an amazing book. Absolutely love it. Like you said, New York Times bestseller. Her backstory is so amazing. That's what this, it's so exciting for me to get into this conversation with her. Yeah, I think her personal story of how the book even came to be, um, it's her first ever novel. Her journey of, of just creating this is inspiring. It is. So Ashley was a publicity director at Penguin Books and she worked in PR for quite some time, but she'd always wanted to write, just never thought that she was good enough. And it wasn't until after her son was born. And I mean, this writing, it really did help her get through some difficult times. And then it snowballed into her first novel, The Push. That is so rare for, um, you know, someone's first novel to be uh, to garner so much interest and um, it is going to be turned into a TV series and she, she'll tell us about this experience but she said after a bunch of offers she chose to go with um, producer David Heyman who did Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Harry Potter if you've heard of that No I haven't heard of it <laughs> um, But basically she said she chose to go with him because she wants to provide something deeper in this story and to challenge the trope of the typical bad mother or the crazy unstable woman. And, and he understood that as a producer. So this is the thing. So the push is a dark, dark, emotional suspense drama thriller. So dark. And I mean that it looks at generational connections and the tension of love and fear through the lens of motherhood. Can and you say that in your tr- um, like trailer voice? The push is a dark, emotional suspense drama thriller that looks at the generational connections and the tension of love and fear through the lens of motherhood. <laughs> Did that ruin it at the end? Um, Did go, I'll me, still watch it. Me going through puberty at the end, that ruined it? <laughs> Honestly, this, the thing I was excited about though was that it is this dark emotional suspense drama. However... I wanted to know what was behind her writing this and and you know her experience with her kids and whatnot. And then to find out she's this amazing person who it's a polar opposite from her experience as a mom. I don't want to go ruining the whole story here, but I yeah. just had to say that. Let's just get into our chat with Ashley Audrain. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. 
Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. <laughs> Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. So first off, you know, I'm sure you get this all the time. People think they're going to hop on and chat with you and they're like, who is this dark soul? (laughs) With what you write, you must be a very dark soul. But then you're such a positive light energy and you have the most beautiful smile. But we we want to hear a bit about you. So what was your childhood growing up and, and, and what influenced you to write what you write? Sure. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. It's so great to chat chat with you guys today. Um, Yes, you know, I do get that a lot. (laughs) That People feel like I'm going to be a a bit of a darker person, I think, than I am. Um, But yeah, you know, I really, it's funny because writing a book about, you know, the dark side of motherhood, you know, and this is quite a heavy book at times. um, I think I've had people say to me that they have flipped to the acknowledgement section (laughs) on the book to see, you know, if I had said anything sort of, if I have some kind of vendetta against a terrible mother or something (laughs) from my past, but I don't, I actually have the nicest mother that you could ever imagine. You know, I really, I had such a lovely, warm, safe, upbringing and i'm i'm there i'm you know i think as we get older we become even more grateful for a background like that or an upbringing like that um so yeah that was a real privilege that i've had in my life and yet here i am sort of writing about you know <laughs> about these about these darker topics but you know i think i was always very aware growing up i mean i grew up just outside of toronto in a suburb called newmarket which you may know mm-hmm. um but um, fellow canadians but um yeah, I had a really sort of quiet kind of typical suburb upbringing. Um, and, you know, I sort of hadn't seen much of the world or sort of left home, you know, until I went to university. And then, you know, I went to Western University in Ontario and then, you know, traveled after that and, um, you know, started kind of seeing more of the world then. But, you know, I really feel like there also, I think there's something about growing up in this very, stereotypical, you know, quiet, kind of good, wholesome family life that kind of makes you more curious about the other side, you know? And I remember kind of, you know, seeing my mom, watching my mom just excel at motherhood and being so natural and maternal. And it was such a instinctual thing for her. And I remember, you know, even as a teenager thinking like, wow, like I know not every woman feels this way. And, and actually I don't really feel this way. Like I remember thinking, I think like many women do when they're in their twenties, you know, like, do I have that in me? You know, like, am I, do I have that maternal instinct? Am I going to be a mother? You know, am I going to be a natural mother? Is that going to come for me? Um, and I think for many years, I didn't see myself in that role at all. You know, I really thought I could live a, you know, a very happy life, sort of child-free, you know, like prioritizing other things. Um, and so, I, yeah, I just didn't think that this motherhood world that I'm in now would really be in the cards for me. But then I think like a lot of us, you know, I kind of got to that point, um, you know, in my early thirties and was in a really wonderful relationship, you know, with my partner and I, it sort of felt like the right time to try, you know, to, to hope to see if that would be for us. Um, and yeah, I remember just feeling nervous about it. You know, even once we were pregnant, kind of being like, oh my God, is this, am I going to regret this? Am I going to like this? Is this the right choice for me? Um, you know, and thankfully I, I am very happy <laughs> to be a mom. Thankfully, I feel like it did work out, but, but yeah, I think that a lot of women kind of go through that. And I sort I, that is really, I think why I started exploring 
this idea in fiction because mm. I think we don't really read a lot about that kind of maternal ambivalence or, you know, that idea that, um, you know, not every woman has to become a mother, yeah. um, you know, or we don't always, we don't all, there's not always that connection between womanhood and motherhood. And some of us kind of have to sort of do it to see if it is for us, right. you know? So yeah. I think it's a complex time. Can you first talk about how the birth of your first child kind of helped you birth this other baby, this book? <laughs> ah, great question. Yeah. So the book is about a woman named Blythe who comes from a history of women who have struggled greatly with motherhood, you know, her own mother and her grandmother in particular. And she's really determined that she's going to break that cycle, you know, that she's going to be the kind of warm, present, you know, engaged mother that she never had. And so she and her husband welcome a baby and the baby's name is Violet. But it's not long until she starts to feel like there is something wrong with Violet. You know, she really feels like this baby or this child is really detached and unemotional. She's quite aloof. She's pretty angry. She's an angry little girl. And she soon begins to act maliciously towards other children at preschool. And the problem, of course, is that her husband cannot see what she can see in the baby. You know, he really believes that, you know, this is a result of that maternal anxiety that Blythe has carried for so long. You know, those those fears of motherhood that we were just talking about, you know, that that have been so prevalent for her. Um, and so they try to move on and they have another baby named Sam. And in Sam, she does find that connection that she is looking for, you know, that she had always wanted to have with Violet um, until something in the family goes terribly wrong. And they are forced to really take a look at who their daughter is, um, who Blythe herself, I think, really is, um, what has happened. And the family unravels from there. So as I would mentioned, you know, I really had gone into motherhood with a bit of trepidation, you know, not really sure. Um and, but then, you know, had the, had our son, his name's Oscar, um, you know, had our son and it, it, it was, you know, off to a good start, I would say, like sort of trying to, I really bonded with him right away and, you know, felt that connection to him. But actually when he was two weeks old, he became quite ill and, you know, ill enough, we had to take him, you know, to emergency at the hospital at Sick Kids Hospital here in Toronto and, um, and ended up, you know, he was diagnosed with a chronic illness. Um, at two weeks old. Um, and that had us, you know, that really just rocked us. I think, you know, both my husband and I, because I think when you have a baby, you know, fear is very much this natural part of motherhood, you know, mm -hmm. when you are expecting or when you are thinking about, you know, even getting pregnant. And certainly when you have the baby, you're so full of worry about all kinds of things mm -hmm. that can go wrong, but really you worry a lot about the health of your child, you know, and, and you, and you hope and pray that they're going to be healthy. And I think, you know, even in some of the language we use, like sometimes people will say, oh, it doesn't matter if you have a boy or a girl, just as long as your kid's healthy. You know, we sort of, we say that, that's sort of like a, yeah. you know, a thing that language that we use. And so when your baby is not healthy, um, it, it is, it obviously is quite jarring. And that was a really challenging time, you know, that we went through, um, sort of like living at the children's hospital and kind of figuring out how to get them healthier. Um, and so, yeah, I really think, you know, because I kind of had that such a rocky start to things, I really thought a lot in those days, you know, especially I think those first six months or so, just about the, these expectations that society puts on women about what motherhood's going to feel like, mm -hmm. you know, what it should look like, how it's going to be, how we should talk about it, um, the things you can talk about and the things you sort of feel like you can't, mm -hmm. even though you're going through, you know, so much. Um, and so when he was around six months old, I feel like I started to get my footing back a little bit. Um, and that is when I really just had this cre real creative urge to start writing, 
you know, I had always loved to write and had done like fiction classes at night and weekends and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. but had never tried to write a novel. And that, and there was something about that period of time, you know, that those early days of motherhood that I thought everything is changing, you know, your identity changes, you're giving so much to this new little creature, you have hardly anything left over. With that too, when Oscar was young and he was sick, was there almost a part of your mind because you you were putting so much thought into, should I be a mom? Am I ready to be a mom? Am I going to have the instincts that my mom had? Was there almost a thought that Oscar being sick, you're like, see, this is the world telling me something. I totally Mm. felt that way. I totally felt like, it was so it was all it was so surreal when it was happening because it was like wow like all of these worries i had all of these questions and doubts i had something the universe is proving something to me you know mm-hmm. it, it did feel that way it did feel that way and i think it took me a while to sort of get over that you know there was a lot of guilt i think that is associated with that kind of thinking where you think you know, if only I'd been more confident, if only I'd been, you know, if I had different feelings going into this, um, you know, I think when anything goes wrong in our lives, like we you can't, it's just human nature to be looking for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, even though it was just a really random thing, you yeah. know, really random health problem. You yeah. Had. Yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right, Drew. It's like this, it's like this need to kind of um, take on blame, I think as a mother or as a parental figure, mm-hmm. and also just to want to find or want to want to put the reason somewhere. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned you, you did a lot of writing while you were in the hospital room with him how how was that and what led you to that and yeah just what did it feel like for you to be able to dive into writing while you had you know your lives to to worry about as well yeah I think you know it's interesting I think that for me writing is always an escape you know it, it was it was always this thing that I could really sink into and really just turn to as a way to kind of, I mean, because of what I was writing about, I was sort of working through Mm -hmm. a lot of those fears and anxieties. And it was cathartic for me in a way, I think writing, you know, some people will sort of describe writing as a therapy or, you know, I think a lot of therapists give advice to say, if you're trying to work through something, like write it down to Mm -hmm. yourself, you know, and I sort of feel like I was doing a bit of that on the page. This story is, you know, very much fiction. Thankfully, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. not the same experience as my character. But I think, but there's a lot of honesty and truth on the page in terms of, you know, those emotions that I that I was going through that a lot of moms go through. So I think, yeah, like some people have said to me, like, you know, was it really hard to kind of go to the dark places in the book? You know, when I had a little kid at home and I was writing about, you know, hard hard ideas, hard concepts um, about motherhood and children that age in the book. And I think too, when you're writing, like, I don't know if you feel like this as, you know, creative people too, but like when you're in control of the creativity, you're coming at it from a different place. You know, like when I I was writing these dark scenes about, you know, grief and, you know, hard Mm. things to write about, but I was the one writing it. So there was just, there was this control there as opposed to, I think now actually when I go back and read the book, it feels more emotional to me than it did Mm. when I was in the moment Mm. kind of creating it. And so with that control, um, you're, that gives you the power you're saying to, to almost uh, explore the areas that you're most most curious about that you don't know because you said earlier too that you know there's a fear that with motherhood that you weren't aware of and there's a, a Globe and Mail quote saying that there's a huge connection between fear and motherhood and it's almost mm. as hard to separate between love and motherhood and so is that what you really found then the control you had with writing this this fictional novel is that it actually let you completely explore all those things in real motherhood that was curious to you that you didn't have in your life that you weren't aware of? That's exactly it. I think that's exactly it. I think that, you know, I'd mentioned that, that this, this feeling of fear before and how prevalent it is in motherhood. And I think, yeah, I think exploring all of that through fiction, um, yeah, was, was so interesting to me and just a way to kind of 
Um, there's also this sort of sense of, you know, when you're writing about something or putting yourself in the shoes of a character who is going through something worse off than you are, you know, it makes your own yeah. <laughs> situation feel a little more, um, you know, digestible in a way. Like there, there is that about it too. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think it, it really was exploratory for me and really cathartic. Um, and I think that that, you know, we don't talk a lot about the fear in motherhood, you know, we yeah. really don't, but I, I, I really believe it is as hard to separate from motherhood as love is, you know, I, I really think that I think at times, um, they can, they can, those emotions can carry almost the same weight. You know, those feelings mm. could carry almost the same weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Was there an element that you wanted people to be educated and to learn that it's important to talk about these things more? Yeah, that's such a good question. Yeah. You know, I think I was really interested in that whole, you know, the idea of inherited trauma as well, which I didn't know a lot about when I started writing the book. And it wasn't my intention when I started writing. Like I really was focused on more the idea of expectations and motherhood and sort of this one woman's experience within the context of this marriage. But as I began writing Blythe's character, you know, I really started to realize that like I didn't I couldn't really understand her as a mother unless I understood the mother she came from. So and then I started writing about Cecilia, you know, who's her mom. And then I had the same kind of feeling as I was writing about Cecilia that like I wanted to know the mom she came from. And mm. then Etta sort of came to me. And then I started thinking more about this chain of, you know, how we learn to mother um, and how some of it, you know, is just sort of in us, you know, is, um, you know, the way that we are built, you know, in our literally in our DNA and some of it is learned behavior. But when we have trauma in our past, like these women do, um, you know, we we inherit, we can inherit that trauma and it's a very real thing. And I sort of looked more into, you know, epigenetics and kind of the study of that and how that works. Um, and it, it is absolutely fascinating, you know, that, that a very stressful, traumatic experience, you know, because of the reaction, the physical reaction that we have to that as humans, you know, it can physically alter our DNA and therefore the DNA that we pass down to our children. Um, so I, yeah, I think that is really important. I think that's a, that's, that's, you know, I think some of us, um, you know, I think that we don't always know the histories that we come from. You know, we don't, it depends how that oral history has kind of been passed down through our families. Yeah. And sometimes we don't even know the questions to ask of the generations ahead of us. You know, mm -hmm. like I think actually having written this book now, like my grandmother has passed away now, but now like in the process of writing this book, like I really wish I could go back and ask her more questions now, you know, yeah. about what motherhood was like for her, like in the decade that she was having children and raising her children. And there's also a lot of societal pressure put on mothers, which I think is, is a huge thing too, which, which again, I think this is really great because it, it's opening up a conversation to understand a little bit more um, about some of those pressures to, to have that maternal instinct in you. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because um, I've been thinking a lot about the ways that, you know, those expectations or those pressures for moms have like changed, you know, mm -hmm. we're like we see that in the book because we're looking at different generations, mm -hmm. but also like, I think it's, you know, I don't know that there's like more pressure on moms now because I think that, you know, and I think about my mom's generation, like our parents' generation, those moms, I think, had a lot of pressure to like suck it up and smile, mm -hmm. you know, like get on with the day. There's no time for complaining. Like you just did it. And I think now in this generation, I think we are encouraged to talk about motherhood a little more. Like we were more open about motherhood than I think we ever have been in a lot of ways. But I think that there's a limit. I think there's like a very clear limit to how much you're encouraged to share. And I think, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, like, you know, social media 
is a wonderful thing in so many ways. And like, thank God for it for so, in so many aspects of our life, right? Like we all enjoy that and use that and find connection and community there. But I think when you're a mom, like we are the first generation of moms who have had social media, you know? And so like, I know like when I, especially within that first year or two, like I really used that connection that I found online as like a lifeline, mm-hmm. you know, like it was like, comfort and it was connection. And, you know, I remember being like up late at night nursing and like being so thankful that I had my phone in my hand that I could just like scroll Instagram to like, just check out, you know, or just Mm -hmm. stay like, try to stay awake for the next like 20 minutes or whatever. So, you know, and and all of that connection that kind of comes along with social media. But I also think that because of that, we're more vulnerable than we've ever been too, because we're sharing more glimpses into our life. And because of that, I think we open ourselves up to a little more judgment, you know, Mm -hmm. than we've been mothers have maybe had in the past. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know, the more you share, the more kind of vulnerable you feel. And then you're sort of comparing yourself against what everyone else is sharing and what their motherhood lives look like. And I think it can be a tough cycle sometimes, you know, of this, like of how much to share. And, and yet, you know, we're, we're sharing things like the glass of wine we're having to get through the day or the messy playroom or whatever, Mm -hmm. but we're not really encouraged to share much more than that. Like an example recently, I think, um, is Chrissy Teigen, you know, Mm -hmm. who million, tens of millions of followers online people eat up everything she has to say about like her life and motherhood but when they unfortunately you know experience that like late term you know pregnancy loss you know she shared a very you know beautiful vulnerable moment um you know when they were going through that and she was so criticized for it Mm. you know and it's like it's like the world was saying to her like share you know share interact with us share us all your oh but don't share that Mm -hmm. like that's that's too much like that part of motherhood life is too much for us and i think we see that message a lot and i think it's really hard ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. So after writing um, and developing Blythe's character, did that change how you mother? Oh, nobody's asked me that. That is a great question. Um, Has it changed how I mother? That's so interesting. I don't know. I think think it's given me... I think writing Blythe's character um, has given me more empathy for other mothers. And I think, I think it's really made me, um, yeah, I think that's what it's done. I think it, you know, I worked on this book for like three years, you know, wrote, wrote the draft for three years and then worked on it for like, you know, another year or so through edits and whatever, and have then have been thinking about this book since then. So, you know, the, the book has been with me the whole time that I've been a mother. Like mm. I started the book, you know, when I became a mother. So yeah, it, it, it's such a an appropriate question because because yeah, I don't, I've, I've sort of, Blythe was sort of born as a mother at the same time that I was in mm. a weird way, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's given me a lot of empathy for just mothers in general who are going through experiences that do not fall within the norm, you know, mm. all kinds of them. And I think, you know, one, I think just even spending so much time at SickKids at, at the Toronto Children's yeah. Hospital here, you know, and, and I'm, I volunteer there now and still stay involved. And just even being around those mothers, you know, who, 
have who are really in, in sort of the same way that Blythe is, you know, trying to put on a happy face, trying to be strong because people are sort of telling them they are. They're they're trying to fit the mold of how motherhood should look. Um, you know, but I know that 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 just how difficult that is, you know, how difficult that is for them. And and I do I think about Blythe and kind of her experience and sort of interacting, you know, with even those mothers. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that, I think that, you know, it's, it's taught me, I think, um, yeah, to be more empathetic, to ask different questions. I think Blythe as a character has sort of taught me, um, even to like, look at the language that I use with other mothers, you know, I think so often, like I would always say, or we all, we always say in society, you know, if we see somebody who has not become a mother yet, you know, holding a baby, someone else's baby, we're so fast to say, motherhood looks good on you. That's mm-hmm. going to look good on you. You're going to be an amazing mother. You're going to, I can't wait for you to be a mom. Adding you know, pressure. We, we, yeah, we add that pressure, but we don't really know how that woman's going to feel as a mother. We don't know if that instinct is going to come naturally to her. Right. Um, but by using this kind of language and sort of um, reinforcing that narrative, yeah, I think it just puts a lot of pressure on women. So mm-hmm. I really, I have really, since writing Blythe, and being in her head so much, I've really thought twice about the way I speak about it, mm. you know, to women and the things I say to women, you know, who are becoming mothers or are mothers. And I that's think. fascinating yeah. too, because you would almost think, and I'm, I'm sure it's the way it was meant to say, you know, mother looks good on you, that sort of thing. You almost feel like it's giving them that, that, that sort of like positive pep talk, like, no, this is a good thing. I'm making yeah. them feel better about this, but you're right. I mean, it really could compound the pressure for, mm-hmm. yeah. for uh, someone looking to be a mom in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about how um, parenthood and motherhood has changed your relationship with your husband and also what the experience was like um, writing the book with with him by your side? You know, we read that he, he gave you feedback only, what was it, two years after you had written it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, totally. I think, you know what I think is, I mean, I, ha- I have to say I have a wonderful partner um, who's like, I'm grateful for every day. Um, but I think, you know, I really, it's so interesting. And I, I, you know, definitely experienced this, but also have observed this in other relationships too, that, you know, when you become a parent, as a per, you know, whether you're the mother or the father, you change so significantly, you know, you really do. You change, like you change in so many ways and you sort of see yourself differently and you feel differently. And yet you're sort of expected to just keep on carrying on that same relationship, you know, but you're two different people. And so the relationship is going to change, mm-hmm. you know, and I think every relationship goes through challenges, you know, when you become a parent, you know, I think in ways it certainly brings you closer, but in other ways, I think it can certainly add another layer of expectation of each other, you know, that you can't, you don't necessarily meet, you know, you sort of, I think we have this idea of how our partner is going to be as a mother or father, but again, like we can't really know that, you know, until we're in that, that moment. And so, yeah, I think, um, I, you know, I do think, you know, because my son had this illness and we were dealing with him being so sick, I think that that, I mean, we, it's so interesting actually now that I'm remembering this, now that you're asking this, that there was a moment when we were at the hospital and, and the doctor had said to us, you know, your son has this illness and it's chronic and, you know, he's going to like, it wasn't great news. And I remember him saying to us, it was almost like the next thing he said, or it is in my mind and my memory anyways, that he said, you know, you two seem like a really good couple and you're going to have to really work hard to stay, to keep this relationship in a good place Mm -hmm. because parents with children that are going through challenges, it it is very difficult. And it was like, and I remember thinking, Oh my God, like not only is this, I mean, it was, it was actually in hindsight, it was great advice. And it was a Mm -hmm. very, 
thoughtful thing to say, I think. You know, it, it came from a very thoughtful place of wanting to put put that on our radar, you know. But it also was terrifying because, you know, you're hearing this news about your kid and then you're also thinking, oh my God, are we going to be divorced in a year? Like, what? Like, yeah. what is my sister asked <laughs> okay. me, she was like, does this book make you like afraid of becoming a mom? <laughs> yeah, does it? Actually, no, I'm curious, it, does it? It okay, doesn't at all. I think it's, mm-hmm. again, like like you said, it does make me just more sympathetic towards other people's experiences, you know, that we may never know and we don't have to know if they don't choose to tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it is like, we know we're all going through stuff. Yeah. Um, so just be kinder. I think that's right. And actually I've had, um, people send me messages, um, like strangers, like send me messages after reading the book and, uh, and quite a few of them have been men and have been, um, mm. a, and a, a handful of them have said, um, you know, my wife either has just had a baby or is pregnant. And I, and they have said, I am going something along the lines of going, you know, the fact that they're going to ask their partner different questions mm. now. And I think that that's so powerful. I mean, that's so meaningful <laughs> to me, obviously as a writer, but, but, you know, to have different conversations, to ask different questions, um, you know, to consider their partner's experience in a different way than they might have, um, you know, because I, and I, and I, yeah, I think that's really meaningful because, you know, so often I think, you know, we all have different journeys to parenthood and pregnancy and, you know, as you, exactly as you said, Linda, like you never know how somebody, you know, what someone's going through or how they get to where they are. But so often, you know, there is so much rightfully so, so much joy projected onto the experience, you know, like between, you know, all you do is you're excited and you're talking about all the great Mm -hmm. things about it. And that's so important. But I think exactly what you guys are saying, like, it's also so important to kind of say, it doesn't all, we don't all, we don't have to pretend it's always like this. We can stop and have an honest conversation, you know, and ask the hard questions, even though they're uncomfortable or make Mm -hmm. room for those tough conversations, even though, you know, it's making somebody emotional or, you know, they're hard things to say. Yeah. I think just making the space for those conversations is just so important. Yeah. 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 And I want, I do want to talk more about like, um, Fox and Blythe's relationship. Um, because Fox plays, I found played such a quiet character, Mm. but there were so many times in the book where I just wanted him to like validate what she was feeling. And I think that is such a collective feeling with, with women, you know, so often there's like the the stereotypical like crazy woman or like over emotional yeah. overreacting. Um, so yeah, I think you really like created and held that tension. Um, and you know there wasn't. I don't think there was ever for me a moment of um, satisfaction where Fox gave Blythe the mm-hmm. validation of like you were right or like I'm sorry that I didn't listen to you um, or didn't pay more attention. Um, can you talk about why you decided to to keep their relationship that way? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Fox is a tricky character because he's definitely, it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, he's very unlikable and he's, you know, but but he is, he is a, he is a quieter presence for a lot of the book. And yeah, I think with his character, you know, Blythe's truth, you know, Blythe's side of the story, her truth or her experience of motherhood, you know, is so inconvenient for him. Mm -hmm. You know, what, how she feels is not how he wants her to feel. You know, he, in the same way that I think she has been taught by society that motherhood should look a certain way and be a certain way. Mm -hmm. He's been taught that too. Mm -hmm. You know, he, as the partner has been taught to expect that he is owed, you know, a certain kind of mother for his child and that he is owed a certain kind of mother and the woman that he chooses to have kids with. I mean, and we see sort of that 
um, idea perpetuated in his mother, you know, Mm -hmm. who is this like quintessential great mother, the Mm mother-in-law character in the book. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, he, he almost enters into sort of like this gaslighting kind of relationship with her where he wants to kind of convince her that how she's feeling is not true, you know, that, that it is in her head, even though we sort of, you know, without giving anything away, we sort of, we do learn that, you know, there is, there is validation and there is kind of moments of redemption, you know, at the end of this book, which I think was really important. And Linda, I love what you just said about, um, you know, her so often, I think we do see, you know, in books or on screen, even sort of this trope of the unhinged crazy mother, Mm -hmm. you know, we sort of see this, I think sometimes we sort of see this, you know, the perfect mom depicted, or we see the mom who just seems like, so, you Mm -hmm. know, she's gone off the deep end in some way or another. And, and so it was important for me that, you know, while Blythe is going through this journey in the book, you know, she sort of lives in this gray area. She sort of lives in this area in between where she's trying to decide, you know, is, is she being rational or not? Like, is this all in her head or not? Um, but I did think it was important that, you know, she wasn't just another unreliable narrator, you know, that, that she really had that sort of redemption and validation at some point mm-hmm. um, to, I think she was owed that, you know, I sort of yeah. feel like as a reader, we wanted her to have that. And as a writer, I wanted her to have that. I mean, your book release right before we're all in lockdown here. I mean, I, I think that this was actually a really positive read for a lot of people too, to, to really sort of think through their isolation and being alone. Um, can you talk to how, how you feel that might've been a positive experience for some others out there? Yes. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think, you know, when, when this, when the pandemic first started, you know, almost this time last year, I, you know, I, I saw these kind of books coming out into the world at that time. And I remember very naively, as it turns out, thinking, oh, January will be okay. You know, when this book comes out in the new year, we won't be in this world anymore. And I was so fearful of this book coming, like publishing in a pandemic, because I think for a long time, it was hard for us to read. It was hard for us to do anything except watch the news. You know, we were all kind of stuck in that cycle of distraction. Um, but, you know, I'm, very grateful. I feel very, very grateful that the book actually did come out when it did and that we all still are in this pandemic and locked down and not going anywhere. Because I feel like in a weird way, um, you know, this, the moment that we're in, I think the book really resonates. You know, it's exactly what you said about us all sort of feeling the sense of isolation and us all sort of feeling the sense of loneliness, um, just like Blythe is, you know, really. She, she is feeling that way as well. And I think you know, in so many ways, this is, it's such a hard time to be a mom right now. You know, I think especially if you are bringing a child into the world right now during this pandemic where, you know, I have friends who've had babies who, you know, nobody else has held the baby except for them and their partner because yeah. they can't, haven't seen anybody in a year. That is really hard. You know, they, we talk about the village that it takes to raise a child and nobody has a village yeah. right now. You yeah, know, it's, know, it's very difficult. And so, yeah, I think I have heard from moms who have said that this has really resonated from them right now. Um, and so maybe the book has in a weird way, you know, come out at the perfect time, even though we are in such, you know, crisis right now just every society is feeling that mm-hmm. um so yeah i think that's been an okay thing and you know the other thing too that you know just on sort of a you know as a as a writer i think you know you you want you want you write fiction because you have something to say but you also want to give people an escape you know and i i love to hear from readers that this has just you know taken them away for you know a couple hours at a time or has distracted them for a weekend and kind of brought them right out of the pandemic life like that escape is important to me as well I think as Mm -hmm. a as a writer to provide that for people so yeah I think the timing in the end was okay well I mean (laughs) hey you you definitely gave that because when you look at like I was saying watching how how uh, captivated Linda was 
and mm-hmm. and knowing like it's creating these conversations for us yeah. to have as well and for Linda and her sister who's a new mom yeah. uh, to have mm-hmm. as well it, it it really is a cool thing you're getting that escape but you're also getting these great further conversations yeah I was just thinking like I can't wait to binge this <laughs> but yeah. also like but also I'm scared to binge it because some scenes are very terrifying I'm like I don't know yeah. how, how that's going to be portrayed but I can't wait to Actually, see it I want to talk a little bit yeah, about that so you. I mean you know, it's everyone's dream that they're, you know, every novelist's dream that they'll, they'll get optioned and, you know, maybe there'll be a film or a series that comes out of it. And then here you have everyone in their dog brought offers <laughs> forward because everyone was so excited. So tell us about that process too. Um, did you think that that would happen so quickly that you would have so many offers coming forward? Oh my gosh. No, no, I did not. I, this, it was such a surprise and it was like, maybe the most surreal weird part of this, because I think, you know, you, as a writer, you obviously you hope and dream that you'll get published. And so when that happens, you know, it's amazing, a dream come true. But then like the next week, you know, my agent was saying, Oh, we've got these producers who are interested. And, you know, she was like connecting this will, you will understand this, but I was up North in cottage country, which you'll be familiar with. Um, like that summer and my, and like literally like in Perry sound, which is a, you know, in Northern Mm -hmm. up in Ontario, kind of like, wandering down the laneway at my parents' cottage, like trying to find a cell signal to take these like calls with, with producers from Hollywood. Like it was just, it was such a silly, it was like ridiculous. Like I, it felt like some other person's life, but um, yeah, but it was really cool and just really neat to kind of talk to producers and see what people's visions were for it. And I, I just, I thought, I, I think like one of the bigger decisions was whether to go kind of like movie or TV series with it. And I think, um, well, you guys, you know, you guys know well, but like, I, I, I feel like TV is really having a moment right now, especially when it comes to these, um, you know, books, I think being written by women about women's stories, um, you know, being translated into these limited series that are exactly Linda, super bingeable. Like I love them and eat them all up too. Um, so it's really exciting to think of the push kind of, um, potentially doing that. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. We know it's Hollywood and who knows, but I I hope, I hope so. No, I think, I mean, it's, uh, it's a statement of how great a writer you are, because if you have offers coming in that fast, that means that you were able to grip people you're giving all these other creatives in the TV and film world, you're giving them the easy ability to picture what this is going to look like because your words are so well-written. Um, but no, that, that's amazing. Like that's uh, honestly, it's it's super exciting for us on this end too to, to see your journey and where it goes from here. And how about further writing? What, what else is exciting you right now on the writing side? Yeah. So well, when my agent sold the book, the first book, it was a two book deal. So I always knew I had a second one <laughs> that somebody yeah. would read. <laughs> so, so thankfully, you know, I've, I had this long stretch. It was like a year and a half between the book, you know, getting acquired by publishers and, and actually coming out. So that was enough time to get like a first draft, at least of a second book done. And I've been working on revisions of that right now, like through this pandemic life with these two little kids at home trying to figure out how to get that done. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's not a sequel. It is a totally different book. So it is, you know, new characters and a new story and it is, it has a title. It's called the whispers Mm. and it is set, um, on one street. It is four houses, four families that are sort of neighboring on a street. Um, and these families don't really know the ways in which they are connected until something terrible happens. A tragedy happens on the street with one of the families. And then over the course of just three days, we sort of figure out 
um, you know, as this tragedy unravels, sort of how these families are connected and the secrets between the houses. So it's, you know, that same kind of emotional suspense, hopefully for the same reader of The Push, definitely explores motherhood. Ashley, this is not fair. Marriage. That is too good of a tease that you just <laughs> gave. You know, I, we, we might have to review some of the pages just to make sure everything's uh, kosher. I'll, yeah. put, I'll put happy face stickers on all of them. We like to do one thing, though, um, before we wrap up, though, we like to do a little speed round. Uh, yeah. Some questions for you. So if you're ready to Great. rock and roll, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So first off, we want to ask, what meal makes you feel at home, and who cooked it? Oh, I think the answer to that question is chili, and I cooked it. Nice. Ah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your uniform at home? Oh, well, pandemic life or, okay. So my uniform at home is, I mean, I have dressed up for you today in this <laughs> black sweater, let me tell you. My uniform at home is um, Lululemon leggings and a sweatshirt. That is all I've been wearing for months and months and months. Yeah. I've got my Lululemons on right yeah, here. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just business from here up. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. So what smell reminds you of home? Oh, um, I think... You know, I think the smell that's coming to mind is campfire. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. And yeah, and it's not like, you know, I mean, I live in the middle of, you know, downtown Toronto, so not campfires here, but the memory is of growing up cottaging. That is the that is that smell. It is that smell of, you know, the Ontario woods. That is home, yeah. I know it very well. I, I'm from you the West it. Coast. I'm from outside of Vancouver, but same thing. We had our, yeah. you guys call it cottage country, but we always, what, what do they call it out on the West Coast? I don't know. I'm from the East Coast. Yeah, I know. Oh my God. I'm, for, I'm forgetting now. It'll come to me, but we had a different term for the cottage, but it was the same thing. <laughs> what song reminds you of home? Oh, um, I think anything Paul Simon. Anything Paul Simon. I feel like um, my husband and I used to play that a lot. Um, and that, you know, that reminds me of just being at home, being in the house with the kids, being in a good mood a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and for the record, it's cabin country on the West Coast. Oh, cabin. That's right. That's I remember right. the first time cabin. I said to someone I knew from Ontario, I said, um, yeah, we, we, we went up to the cabin. And they're like, what do you mean? And then like to the cabin, we went up to the cabin up north and like, oh, you mean like a cottage, right? Yeah. Like, same thing. <laughs> uh, so what's your perfect Sunday morning at home? Mm, my perfect Sunday morning at home uh, involves... No plans, nowhere to be, no play dates, no soccer, no nothing like that for my kids. Um, lots of hot tea, music, probably the New York Times, like that nice thick Sunday edition. Um, and kids who are behaving themselves playing quietly on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> the oh, so this is this is also fictional, what you're saying. This is also fictional, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you think moms can be celebrated more? Uh, you know, how can moms be celebrated more? I think we need to celebrate the small little wins more. I think that sometimes, you know, we look for, um, you know, the bigger things to rally around or the bigger things like with our, even with our kids or, but really I think if we celebrated, you know, the small moments, like I was just talking about, like if the quiet playing on the floor for an hour, um, you know, I think if we prioritize that and celebrated those things happening more, I think, um, those are the really things that really matter to us, you know, is those little moments. 
That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have one last, and then this this question is actually I'm interested to hear because, and I'll tell you why. Mm. Name three things that you have on your bedside table. Oh, okay. Um, bottle of water. Um, books, lots of books, stacks and stacks of books, and a lamp that my husband, a vintage lamp that my husband gave me. Oh, for nice. Birthday once. We yeah. love vintage. Cool. So why I'm curious yeah. is because you're a writer. Linda and I find that some of our kind of most unique ideas come to us in our dreams. And so, oh. I, but I always forget to like grab a pen and write it down or grab my phone and make a note kind of a thing. So I figured as a writer, you must have like a pen and pad or something right there to, to jot thoughts down. Or yeah. does a lot of your creativity come from your dreams? No, I, I have thoughts at night all the time as I'm falling asleep. I, I have that exact thing. And and what I actually write, I'm like, um, I write notes constantly, but I write them on my iPhone. I write them mm. on the notes app, you know, yeah. that yellow notes app. That's on what it. I, do, yeah. I have like, yeah, pages and pages and pages. So my iPhone, I should say, is always on my bedside table as well. But I, I will like, I have been, no, I will, if I am, I get a lot of ideas in the car when I'm driving mm. and I will pull over the car, like any, wherever I am. And I will write something down on the note, on my notes app that nice. I need to like work, like for writing, like ideas for scenes and then just keep on going after that. That's great. So yeah. it's we, very valuable. We yeah. found it very entertaining because I'll do voice notes and then I'll do, um, uh, like uh, notes on my iPhone, same as you. Uh, and Linda writes it in, in her notepad, but Linda is detailed. Usually she'll write and you know exactly what she's talking about. I sometimes <laughs> am not thinking about it. In the moment, I just quickly write it and I move on. Or sometimes if it's for a song or for music, I'll just kind of do a quick vo- voice note. And then we'll have an entertaining evening where we'll have dinner and then we'll go back and listen to my voice notes. And it's <laughs> you have no it. idea what it is. I just sound like a, a, a crazy person, but uh, it's fun. I find that, you know what I find too is with the autocorrect. That always happens oh to me gosh. with the note. Like I'll write something and it autocorrects and, and I don't notice. And then I'll come back and think like, what was that word? Yeah. <laughs> what is this vulgar thing I'm oh, writing? Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. You're, you are an inspiration um, for so oh, many people and we love what you do and we really look forward to seeing uh the series yes such a pleasure chatting with you both thank you so much it's really been a joy thank you i just want to know what the next three novels are going to be because the push is good you guys need to binge read this i am pushing you to read it because it's so well i'm it's dark. I've talked to a few friends who are like, I've heard it was amazing, but I can't read it right now because it's so dark. Mm. Um, but it's so good. Like I never expected to be so affected by a book. Like I did this one. Like I stayed up thinking about it. I kept chatting with, with Annalie and, and Linda you read it, it and listened to it. And then you guys were having like book clubs My with each other. My palms are <laughs> like, we're so sweaty. Cause I was Give like, me your palm. Oh yeah, she's yeah, sweating it up. Sweaty. Uh, anyway. Yeah, my feet are sweaty. Um, yes, go read the book. We'll put the link in our show notes. Um, but b- beyond um, being a great book, I just love how it really made me um, think about the different stereotypes and expectations mm-hmm. we have in women. Anyway, we talked about all that. I just, I can't stop talking about the book. It's- You're like- Super fast talking about it. So a huge thank you to Ashley for joining us. And also for all you guys listening in, we also want to shout out all of our homies on our end, our podcast producer, Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Awanis. 
Wes Friend, Chris Cobain, Jessica Bryant-Harvey, and Nicole Schachter. Also, our theme music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And music is composed and produced by Rick Russo. If you guys want to chat with us, make sure to hit us up on YouTube. At Home is our channel, and you can leave us a comment. Also on social media, at at home and don't forget to subscribe and rate subscribe rate follow all the goodies and thank you linda for being an amazing woman thank you for being by my side do you want to go read the push i can't wait to watch it let's do this